Let us open our Bibles to John chapter 2. John chapter 2, where we have our most perfect example of holy zeal. John chapter 2. We do not have dancing Israelites around golden calves to wax hot against. We do not have an Israelite man taking a Midianitish woman into a tent for whoredom to wax hot against. We have our own souls, habits, family, children, children's habits, and other things that we can wax hot against. We can wax hot against those areas in our lives that we've let slide. And that's what we should wax hot against. That's what I'm going to wax hot against. And so we can work together if you will be examining your hearts and lives and thinking of what area of my life have I let slip that I should gather hold of again, wax hot against it, and be like Caleb Phinehas or Moses in defeating it. Lord, help us. John chapter 2, verse 13. And the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem, and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves, and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple, and the sheep, and the oxen, and poured out the changers' money, and overthrew the tables, and said unto them that sold doves, Take these things hence, make not my father's house an house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered that it was written, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. The disciples remembered by the power of the Holy Spirit that in Psalm 69 and verse 9, Jesus said in prophecy in the first person, The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. What are you eaten up with this morning? Making money? Having fun? Being slothful? What are you eaten up with? Men get eaten up with all sorts of things. Is it getting an MBA? Is it getting a new job? Is it getting a better job? What are you eating up with? Jesus was eaten up with the zeal of the house of God. The worship of God. The pure worship of God. Not a carnal worship. Not a mixed worship. But a pure worship ate Him up. It devoured Him. It tore Him up from the inside out. And so we see on the outside the actions that resulted from a heart that was totally committed to seeking the glory of God and the purity of worship of His Father in heaven. Our Lord Jesus Christ had been this way His entire life. We find Him at twelve, debating with the doctors of the law, asking them questions and answering their questions. When confronted by His parents, He said, Wist ye not that I must be about my Father's business? He was He had zeal at 12. Do you have it at 16? Do you have it at 77? Do we have the zeal of the Lord Jesus Christ? We want to have it. The zeal 
So we have the Holy Spirit's Word for us. So we're going to look at the word zeal. The zeal of thine house. God's house. The God of the Bible. Jehovah and His Son Jesus Christ. That's what we're dealing with. Spiritual zeal hath eaten me up. It is affecting and changing my life. It, it, it drives me. It directs me. It makes my choices for me because it's eating me up. Is that you today? I will, said David. I want to be like that. And Jesus was called the son of David because like his father David, he was zealous for the house of his father. Brethren, I am not angry at you. I am angry at the sin and the weights that so easily beset us and hinder us in our race. We get so distracted. We get discouraged. We get diverted. We get weighed down. And we must cast off those weights. We must lay aside the sin and the weights and run with patience the race before us. But I don't want to talk about running with patience today. I want to talk about running with zeal. The Apostle Paul would say when he compares the Christian life to a race in another passage, instead of running with patience as if it's a long distance race, he says they, they run to win. Second place is not good enough for a Christian. They that run, run all, but only one gets the prize. Paul said, so run. We're to run that way. I would wish that there was a great deal of emulation in this congregation and a great deal of holy competition. And that is, who is going to get the prize in this assembly for being the most zealous for the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and for holy spiritual living and for a godly family from top to bottom as far as God will bless your efforts. That's how we should be living. Brethren, we live in the perilous times of the last days. You know that. The passion of Christians today is for pleasure instead of for God's glory. Today's religious ambition is a form rather than the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. The threat to our souls is not Islam. Anyone here been tempted by Islam this past week? I trow not. How about Mormonism? No, those are not the threats to our soul. The threats to our soul are compromise and lethargy. Slothfulness. Spiritual slothfulness. And we want to make war against those things. The average Christian today, and we're not talking about those outside these walls necessarily, the average Christian today is lazy, selfish, and devoid of most any spiritual conviction. We want to be full of spiritual conviction. We want to hate things like Psalm 101 said David hated them. We want to love the opposite things like David also described. If the Bible is half true, what level of effort does God deserve? From us little worms. From us His children that He's adopted and saved by the glorious grace through Jesus Christ our Lord. If the Bible is half true in describing Him and punishment and rewards and blessing upon His children, what level of effort do we owe Him? Everything we have and nothing but the best. Cursed be the deceiver that voweth and offereth unto me a corrupt thing. If the Bible is half true, what is your goal for serving the Lord this morning? What is your goal? To be a failure? 
to be mediocre? Or to be a zealot and to be the best? Each one of us has to answer that. Everyone in this congregation is going to fall into one of three categories. You are a failure as a Christian. You are mediocre as a Christian. Or you are a success. You are a godly zealot and you have applied yourself with the grace God has given you to be the best that you can be. You cannot find another category. And mediocre to a man that's convicted by the Holy Spirit is as bad as being a failure because mediocrity is failing. Who wants to be average? We want to excel for the Lord who saved us. The Lord who's called us. The Lord who's given us His Word. Lord, help us do that. Are you putting forth the effort the Lord expects? If you lose your soul, or a spouse, or a child, or this church to the world, how much of it will be your fault? How easy do you take things that are going on in your life that are a spiritual threat to you, or your marriage, or your children? How easy are you taking it? How low will you go toward the world? How high will you aim for Jesus Christ? How close do you want to get to sin? Or how far away do you want to be? How much do you want to be known as a man of prayer or a woman of prayer? Brethren, no matter what part of life we would consider this morning or anywhere, no matter what part of life we would consider, whether it's athletic training, schooling, a job or a business, there needs to be periodic reminders of the effort that needs to be put forth to excel at that thing. Every athlete needs it. Everyone go, every student needs it. Everyone on the job needs it. A reminder to put forth the effort that it requires to be successful. And I am not today teaching some prosperity gospel about being successful in the world. I'm talking about being successful in the sight of God. Amen. And we need a reminder. And so today is a reminder. Where have you let your life slip? And will you regather it with the Lord's help right now while we speak together from the Word of God and commit yourself to be zealous for His sake? You know, if we had real persecution or real trouble, we'd find some zeal. Because Christianity would be shrunk to real zealots. All those who are Christians in name who find it tough to live the Christian life in prosperous America where you have every advantage to be a great Christian, but you can't do it because it's just so tough. You know, if we had persecution, you wouldn't even be a Christian. But those that would be, would be zealous. Because then there was no place for a carnal Christian when you might give your life. No carnal Christian wants to give his life. That's why he's a carnal Christian. Because he can't even give his life a living sacrifice, let alone a dead sacrifice to his Lord. God chose us for these perilous times. We need to redeem the time because the days are evil. We need to buy back the time by whatever means we have and apply ourselves to the use of time in God's Word, on our knees, and pursuing holiness in our homes and families and in our own souls and habits. We must redeem the time and buy it back. We cannot lose our children. We cannot lose our souls, our marriages, our church. And it's a war that we're fighting. We can't relax and think that we're going to keep what we have. There is no such thing in a warfare as relaxation. 
There is peace and pleasure and God's blessing in the effort of being zealous. The happiest men in the Bible were the most zealous ones. It's when you're compromising that you're the least happy. Because you're not really pleasing your flesh and you're not pleasing the Lord. So where are you going to derive your happiness? Right. It's a zealous man that is the most happy. His sins are confessed. He has no guilt. He has no shame. He's full of confidence. He knows the Lord is with him. He has the most delightful friends. And their relationship is not stunted because of sin. Brethren, it's a win-win situation. If you will examine yourself and apply yourself this day. How many of our girls are going to grow up to be like Sarah in the Bible? Hannah, Abigail, Mary, Anna, Lois, Eunice, Priscilla, and the other great women. How many of our girls are going to grow up to be like them? It's a commitment. And it takes fathers to form girls like that. And it takes God the Holy Spirit's blessing. How many of our boys will be like Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Joseph, David, Daniel, John, Paul? That's what we want in our family trees. This morning is not about what. I don't have any what's to give you. I will. The point, the main, the main point is not what can we be doing, it's how we should be doing what we already know. And we should be doing it with zeal and not relaxing, giving up, avoiding, procrastinating, or putting off. Only a few of you are going to get it. I've learned that from the Bible, and I've learned that from being your pastor. Only a few of you are going to get it. I wish every single one of you would get it. Some of you probably aren't born again. Some of you love being a carnal Christian because your entire life has been a habit of giving in to the flesh. Only a few of you will get it and really make changes in your soul, in your personal habits, in your marriage, in your home, with your children, on the job, in your activities. It is a wide gate and a broad way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go in thereat. It is a straight gate and a narrow way that leads to life, and few there be that find it. I call on all of those that are convicted at all to want to be great for the Lord of heaven. Listen to me for a few minutes. What is zeal? It's a word of the Holy Ghost. It's not Jonathan Crosby's word. It's the Holy Ghost's word. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. We read in John 2.17, and that's from Psalm 69 and verse 9. Zeal is intense ardor in the pursuit of an end. It is passionate eagerness in favor of a person or a cause. It is enthusiasm as displayed in action. It is a passionate desire. It is vehemence. It is fervency. It is eagerness. Zeal is all out, committed, convicted, drastic, extreme, intense, passionate, radical, and severe. It's going to do it and go all the way. The zeal of thine house. Did Jesus go all the way? Can you him see, can you see him sitting there on a bench off to the side, taking a wooden handle and somewhere between five and fifteen cords and making himself a scourge? There was a, there was a plan. 
he took the time to make himself a scourge. And then he drove those money changers out of the temple. He kicked over their tables, overthrew them, and drove them out. That was pretty passionate. That was pretty emotional. A lot of enthusiasm there. We want to be like that. You know, the Bible also speaks of vehement desire, vehement flame, spirit was stirred, burning fire in a heart, heartily as unto the Lord. Heart was lifted up, and with all his heart. And notice what we read about Caleb. How did he follow the Lord? That word that starts with W? He wholly followed the Lord. When he came back as a spy, when he was 40 years of age, and the other ten spies said the land was too hard to take, it did not move him one bit because he was full of zeal. He and, Mo- he and Joshua told Moses, we can go up and take the land right now. We don't need more military exercises. We just need to cross the Jordan River and do it. Then when he was 85, he hadn't changed a bit, had he? Do you know what the best words out of that passage are? Give me this mountain. Amen. Do you know what mountain that was? It's where the giants lived. Right. When they came back, they had seen the Anakims living on that mountain. And they had told the people of Israel, we were grasshoppers in their sight. We were grasshoppers in our sight. We can't take the land. The giants are there. When Caleb was 85 years old and they had spent five years defeating all the other territory in Canaan, Caleb came to Joshua and said, now you remember, we've got a deal. This 85-year-old man gets that mountain. Moses promised me that mountain. Now don't you disappoint me and take away those giants because I want them. Now that's a man. You know how he got it, didn't you? He had some pretty daughters. He had some pretty daughters and he said, whoever takes that mountain, I'll give you my daughter. He had a lot of young bucks line up. That's how you get a draft to work. That's how you get a volunteer army to work. That's what Caleb did. And so he led himself a nice little uh, intensely and highly motivated force against the Anakims. You can read about it in the book of Joshua. Try Joshua this time and not Judges. (laughs) Zeal. Zeal is glorious. Do you know our God is a God of zeal? When the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, that He's going to give us a son, He's going to give us one who's going to be called the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace... The government shall be upon His shoulder. It says all that about the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, for the zeal of the Lord of hosts shall perform this. God is zealous. When God does something, He does it. You know, there was once a flood that covered the earth, and that showed quite a bit of zeal, because the, the water went up over the highest mountains by a number of cubits. He does it with zeal. Jesus Christ had zeal, as we've already seen here. And he is set down at the right hand of the majesty on high for the zeal he had while he was in this world. He saw the joy that was set before him. He saw the glory of God. I have glorified thee on the earth. And he saw the joy that was coming. He was willing to go to the cross, endure the shame, in order to achieve God's best for him and God's reward for him as our Savior. You've had read to you today about Moses coming down and finding those Israelites worshiping around that calf. He wasn't afraid of Aaron. Aaron had been his mouthpiece. He went right up to his brother and said to him, What in the world did you do while I was gone? And you saw Aaron's little effeminate excuse for what he had done. 
Very different from Moses. You know, Moses' anger waxed hot. He broke the tables of stone. They didn't deserve the Word of God the way they were living then. He took that golden calf. I heard a few of you chuckle, and we should all chuckle. He took that golden calf, ground it to pow- burned it in the fire, ground it to powder, and then strawed it upon their water and made them drink it. That wasn't red Kool-Aid in the jungles of Guyana. That was gold Kool-Aid in the land of, outside the land of Canaan. He made them drink it. That was zeal. Did you hear the rest of that passage? Who is on the Lord's side? And the men of his tribe gathered themselves over to Moses. And I've preached this to you before. The sons of Levi came over and stood with Moses. And Moses said, put your swords on. Now those priests weren't used to carrying swords. But he said, I want you to go out into this nation and find your brothers and find your companions and find your friends and find your sons and kill them. You want to consecrate yourself to the Lord this day for a blessing? Kill your sons. You want to consecrate yourself to the Lord this day for a blessing? Kill your brothers, companions, and friends that were involved in this. And they did it. That is what it meant when we just sang, who is on the Lord's side? Who is going to stand up in their family? Stand up against anything that goes on in the privacy of your home that is not right? Who's going to stand up against a spouse? that is doing something wrong in your home? Who's going to stand up against children? Who's going to stand up against someone in this congregation that is not living a holy life and tries to discourage or defeat or lead astray anyone else in here? We have lots that we should be doing. Let's be like these men. Phinehas. What a promise. I've made a covenant with him for peace. Why? Because he had some zeal. Instead of standing in the door of the tabernacle and praying about it, he went and did something about it. They were all boo-hooing about the fact that a a number of leaders were dangling there before the sun. They felt so bad that brother so-and-so has been hung and he's swinging in the breeze. But Phinehas was not like that. He was sick and tired of what was going on, and so he went and took care of it. He took it into his own hands, literally, and made shish kebab of those two in that tent. And the plague stopped right then because God was pleased by that kind of zeal. And he he commended the zeal. And he he told Moses, you bless Phinehas on my behalf. Because he was zealous for my sake. The Lord loves men zealous for His sake. And brethren... These are things we've heard before, but do you know what happens every day of our lives? We slip. We can't slip. Jephthah may have spoken a little hastily, but I still love his zeal. Lord, if you'll be with me in this battle, the first thing that comes out to meet me, a burnt offering unto you. Let me tell you, someone else that had some zeal in that family. He had a little daughter that had some zeal. I don't care what you believe about the passage. Because it doesn't matter whether he burnt her as a burnt offering or whether he made her a perpetual virgin. The girl suffered. And you know what? She didn't care as long as it was for the glory of God and to help her father keep his word. That was zeal in that family. The father had it and the daughter had it. Like father, like daughter in this case. Father, if if you've said something with your mouth, we cannot go back. I'll happily do it. Just give me a couple of months to bewail my virginity. 
Samuel. Chris and the rest of you, do you remember the sermon on Samuel hewing Agag in pieces? Chris, you know what I mean by referring to you, don't you? You, you blessed my heart recently by remembering that sermon. Do you remember how I finished that sermon about Samuel and Agag years ago? What Agag do you have in your life that you need to hew in pieces? We have things in our lives that we need to draw a sword and hew them in pieces. Samuel was not used to hewing men in pieces, but Saul wouldn't do it. And he stood there in the presence of Saul who wouldn't hew that king in pieces, and he drew a sword and did it himself. And we all have things we have to do that to. We have a choice. Our time is running out. I'm 50. Some of you are 65 or older. Some of you are 77. Our time is running out. Are we going to be found faithful before the Lord and zealous? Or are we going to be found mediocre failures? Every day, we need to, we need to answer this call. I will. Right. Who is on the Lord's side? Let him come unto me. Moses said, let's go over there and take our swords with us and end whatever is going on wrong in our line of responsibility. David, what about Goliath? David and Goliath is an important event. Because when young David arrived on that battlefield, his older brother made fun of him. If you got serious about the things in your life, someone's going to try to make fun of you, possibly. You envious little brat, why aren't you back with the sheep? You little twerp. He was the youngest of eight brothers. But what, did David, what was David's answer? Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause that uncircumcised Philistines blaspheming my God? Is there not a cause? I don't care how big he is and how small I am. What are you doing here, Eliab, and not doing something about it? I'm going to do something about it. No one else may do something about it. Are you willing to be the only family left on earth like Noah's family that's going to be zealous for the Lord of hosts and not compromise? Or are you going to go along with the rest because you look a little better than them? Or are you going to compare yourself to this holy standard and what God has said? Noah ended up being the only family on earth, and we don't even know about the rest of his family. All we know is that he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and he was faithful. That's what we've got to be. It doesn't matter if, if no one stands with us. We must stand with the Lord. Zeal, passionate commitment to the excellence of serving the Lord with our whole heart, strength, soul, and mind. And it requires a daily effort at examining our lives. Where am I slipping? Where is the temptation creeping in? I've got to cut it off. David cut it off in Psalm 101 from every avenue. David, we could go through so many examples for him. He moved the Ark of the Covenant that I mentioned earlier this morning. When he got home and his wife, his wife made fun of him for taking off some of his royal clothing in front of the nation of Israel. He got himself honor over her and all the handmaidens in that nation when they found out what he had done to that girl. He put her away and she never bore any royal seed. And the family of Saul was cut off. He sat in his house. If Dave, when David felt that he was relaxing, do you know what he did? 
Are you, I've, I've taught you all these things because God's taught all of us all these things. That's why we're under such a burden of responsibility. When David sat in his house in 2 Samuel 7 in the first two verses and had rest from all his enemies, did he get uncomfortable with being relaxed? He got uncomfortable and he said, it's not fair that I live in a cedar house and God is still in a tent. I will build him a temple. And you know the exchange in that whole chapter. God said, no one has ever thought of building me a temple. I never even mentioned it to Moses or anyone Where'd you get such an idea? I'm not going to let you build my house because your son's going to build it for me. But I'm going to build you a house. Why did God say, I'm going to build you a house right there in that passage when David said, I'm going to build him a house? Because God loves that kind of zeal. And David said, well, if you won't let me build it, then I'm going to pay for it. And he gathered materials the rest of his life so that that house of God could be exceeding magnifical. But those are the Bible words. You, I know you didn't use them in a sentence this week, but exceeding magnifical. Do you love that zeal? Yeah. You, know, you know how long ago that Bible study was on a Wednesday night when I stood here and we all enjoyed so much reading about David and his dying words about how much he had gathered for that temple? The title of the Bible study was He Deserves Better Than That. It was a long time ago. I I know that many of you were affected by that. I was affected by it. We get together every Lord's Day, and we should be getting together with the Lord every day because we forget and lose the passion for the zeal that the Lord deserves. The Apostle Paul was a zealot before he was converted and after he was converted. You know, afterward he said, the grace of God that was bestowed upon me was not bestowed in vain. For I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. What a zealot he was. Brethren, I can't take you and give you a picture other than a word picture from the words of Scripture that there's going to be a day of judgment in which you will give an account of your lives. You're going to be held accountable for everything in your life. Your spouse, your children, your habits, your soul, your spiritual habits, your zeal. And we've got to think about that now. Thinking about it then will be totally wasted. Totally worthless. Vain. It's thinking about it now. The Apostle Paul was driven by that fact. He said, if, I'm, if I appear to be beside myself. You know what? When he said that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he sounds sort of like the Lord Jesus Christ. The zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. If I appear to be beside myself, it's for the Lord's sake. Zeal for the Lord is a good thing. We had read this morning, Malachi 1.14, The Lord is a great king and He deserves our very best. We don't offer Him something corrupt. The first commandment and the great commandment is simple. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's everything you've got. Everything else falls in the shade compared to your ambition for the Lord Himself. Look at Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. If anything is worth doing, then it's worth doing with all your might. Is that found in the Bible? Ecclesiastes 9, 9 or 10. Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, especially in matters of religion. 
that directly apply to the worship of God. Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul puts it this way. Verse 18, but it is good. Galatians 4.18, but it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And not only when I am present with you. Paul said it is good to be zealously affected in a good thing. And is there any better thing than the glory of God and the obedience to the Bible? Is there anything better than that? We should be zealously affected toward that. But do you know what his criticism was of the Galatians? Always. The emphasis in verse 18 is on always. Because they had slipped from the zeal that they had once had when he was with them. They were so thankful for the gospel that Paul preached. Paul said, you would have plucked out your eyes and given them to me. But they had lost that zeal. And so the emphasis in verse 18 is on the word always. It is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. And when we look at at Jehu in the second assembly today, he did not remain zealous always. So he's a shame. He's a loser. As much as we do love the zeal in his campaigns against Ahab's house and Baal worship in Israel. Here is zeal. Zeal for the Lord is a good thing. And the Bible tells us to be always affected with it. Look at Romans chapter 12. Oh, there are so many verses. You don't need many verses. You need God the Holy Spirit and your submission to God the Holy Spirit to get convicted and to think about the things in your life that you have let slip and say, I'm going to get a hold of them today. Lord, forgive me right now. While he's preaching, forgive me. Stir me up and let me go do what you expect me to do. This very day. Romans 12 and verse 11. This may be speaking about our employments in the outside world, but I want you to notice that God does care about how we do things. Romans 12:11, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Now, those are, those are short little clauses. Short little phrases. But they, in just a few words, summarize Colossians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 6, where it tells us to serve our masters as unto the Lord and heartily, as from the heart, in singleness of heart. And what is that heart? Unto the Lord and fervent in spirit. We're passionate about what we do. If you can't be passionate about it, then it must be wrong. So don't even do it. If you're going to do anything, let's do it passionately. Because the Lord wants us to be passionate and zealous, especially in matters of our religion. Losing first love, you know, brings the removal of a candlestick from a church. Being lukewarm brings Him spewing you out of His mouth. Consecrate yourselves to the Lord, Moses told his brethren, and get a blessing this day by killing false worshipers in your family. Look at 1 Corinthians 9. I've made reference to this, but let's see it before our eyes. 1 Corinthians 9. Look what Paul said in verse 24. 1 Corinthians 9.24 And this I do for the Gospel's sake. That's verse 23. That I might be partaker thereof with you. Verse 24 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one, only one, 
receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Every man that strives to be the best in the world in any athletic pursuit is temperate in all things. They govern their entire life to serve one end, an Olympic gold medal. They temperate everything. Everything they put in their mouth is carefully chosen either by a nutritionist or personal trainer or by their own study on the subject. They get up and train every day. They make sure that they leave your company to get to bed on time in order for them to get a proper night of rest in order to train the next day. Everything is calculated and carefully planned for years in order to be master of some event. They do it to obtain a corruptible. What are you doing for an incorruptible? Your whole life should be calculated and planned with zeal that only one gets the prize. And Paul said that's how we're to race. And run the Christian life. Paul said in verse 26, I therefore so run. In the manner that I've just described, that's how I run my life. Not as uncertainly. I don't let life happen to me. I have a plan. I have an attack. I have a method for getting to where I'm going. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. He doesn't punch himself out by missing his opponent. He is calculated and careful to make sure he lands his blows to accomplish something. He's using this as an analogy for us. His Christian life is calculated and it's full of zeal. He fights. He's using some of the most intense athletic endeavors to describe being a good Christian. I keep under my body. We would say that today, I keep my body under and bring it into subjection, as all athletes do, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. We want to run this race like Paul did. Paul was zealous. He's encouraging the church at Corinth to be zealous. When he said in verse 24, So run that ye may obtain, using the plural pronoun ye to apply to all of them. You remember the parable of the talents. The man that had five and multiplied them heard the words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The man that had two and multiplied them heard the same words, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. The man that had one talent and held it and didn't multiply it, and talent was a piece of money. Because it's a financial parable for us to get a spiritual lesson from it. The man who didn't multiply the grace of God that was bestowed upon his life God took from him that talent and left him in total misery. The the differences God has made in families and the differences God will make in families is going to make some of these things very visible. If everything's to be done to the glory of God, how should it be done? With zeal. With zeal. Whether we eat or drink or whatsoever we do, all should be done to the glory of God. Zeal needs to be guided. Zeal has its enemies. Prosperity is one of the greatest enemies of zeal. What does the Bible say about Jeshurun, one of the Lord's nicknames for Israel when it waxed fat? Jeshurun waxed fat and kicked. They got rebellious. They got slothful. 
when the Lord blessed those people, they would run off and live any way they wanted. And then he'd have to bring some foreign power. Never read the book of Judges? Did this happen once or twice there? In the book of Judges, he'd bring in a foreign power and pound the nation. And they'd cry unto the Lord after 10 or 20 years. He'd finally hear them and send a deliverer, raise up a judge that would deliver them because prosperity brings complacency. Prosperity brings slothfulness. You know, when you've got serious trouble in your life, do you know what two parts of your body hit the floor? Your knees. You get on your knees when there's trouble. Would to God that we would get on our knees out of love for the God of heaven and zeal for the kingdom of Jesus Christ before trouble comes and let Him save us from a lot of that trouble because we won't deserve His chastening rod. It's not what you have to give. I love zeal. Zeal is not measured by how much you have to give. Zeal is measured by how much you give of what you have. Jesus in Luke 21, was watching the rich men casting all their large gifts into the treasury. But he took notice of a woman, a widow woman, who cast in two mites. Because he told his disciples, she hath cast in all her living. Where was the zeal? Was it in the 50-pound bags of silver hitting the bottom of the vault? Or was it in the two mites tinkling off the wall? The Lord Jesus knows how to measure zeal. And He measures it by how much you give of what you have. And we're not, I'm not talking about giving this morning. That's just part of zeal. Your financial giving is part of your zeal. You know, David wanted to give everything he'd get his hands on for the building of that temple. But it's your whole life. It's your personal spiritual habits. It's your marriage. It's your children. It's your house. It's your job. It's this church. It's showing hospitality. Everything that we have ever learned from the Bible that we ought to be doing, what is your level of commitment and energy and effort put forth in those areas? That's what we're talking about. Brethren, it's applied zeal that counts. This is the key point. Are you zealous for the priorities God has already set in your life? I have 45 copies up here at the front of an outline to help you and me be reminded of our priorities. And you've seen it a few other times in your lives. You that have been here for a while. A mighty man's life. On the home page of our website, ten parts of your life, starting with your spiritual life. Today, we do not need to know what to do. We need to make a decision how we're going to do what we already know. And that is where we have slipped. I am going to regather that lost ground and I'm going to retake it for the Lord's sake. And I'm going to be zealous in all those parts of my life. This is the key point. Zeal must be applied in something practical. We can't just think about zeal and get excited about the Bible characters that had it and the verses that promote it. We have to examine ourselves and see where we have slipped and say, that is where I need to show my zeal. Right there. The first category. A couple, couple more minutes. These are going to be laying up here. Spiritual duties. Are you reading the Word of God? Are you praying and begging God for His strength in your life? And for you to lead your family, whether you're a husband or a wife. 
Are you confessing your sins? You know how this list looks. Your spiritual habits. They're so easy to let them slip. And we cannot let them slip. We must show zeal at home first. Did you notice how Psalm 101 was developed? David started at home. David started in his heart. And then he moved on out to children, servants, and companions. This is where we start. Then there's your marriage. You know, a mighty man's life and the priorities of it. If you were to read the Bible, you would find out that God has ranked your priorities. And the world wants to turn them upside down. You know, the whole world right now wants to be worried about Mother Earth. Can you believe it? What a waste of time. What about their souls that they'll give an account of? Jesus said, what if a man were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would it profit him? Your duties as a parent. Your duties toward the church. Your duties to your larger family. Your professional duties. Your financial duties. Your social duties. They're all here. There's going to be up here for every man. 13 years of age and older. To grab one of those and take it home and say, Lord, where? Show me where I'm cheating. Show me where I'm compromising. Show me where I've relaxed. And I need to regain ground that you've commanded me to take. That's what we need to do. We will all do it. Because we want to be zealous for the Lord of hosts. Women, you'll hear some more of yours on Wednesday evening. But what kind of a woman are you? The Bible's plain enough. Proverbs 31 was written for you. 1 Peter chapter 3, the first six verses were written for you. Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5 were written for you. What kind of a woman are you? Do your children know the law of their mother? And is it agreeable with the commandments of their father? Rather than zeal against Zionism, God does not care whether you hate Zionism or not. Rather than zeal against Hillary Clinton, it doesn't matter who our next president is. Our next president is not going to alter your spiritual duties before God whatsoever. We don't need zeal against abortion, sodomy, or other things like that. We need abortions against, we, we need, we need zeal against a lethargic home life, a lethargic spiritual life, a dull spiritual life, the loss of spiritual habits. That's where we need our zeal. How high are you aiming for your soul? How high are you aiming for your spouse's soul? How high are you aiming for your children? Are you just getting by? Are you just letting life happen to you? Zeal doesn't let anything happen to it. Zeal puts on its sword and says, who is on the Lord's side? And then goes into the camp and sets things right for the glory of God. If we don't have zeal for the truth that God's given us, we don't have anything. You say, well, we'd at least be lukewarm. That's what I said. We don't have anything if we don't have zeal for what God's shown us to be the truth. Do you want to be like a Moses? Do you want to be like a Phinehas? A Caleb? The Lord Jesus Christ Himself? Our brother Paul? You have another opportunity today. Today was to be a reminder for all of us on God's call for us to be zealous. May He bless us to that end.
May He save us from lethargy, complacency, carnal Christianity, and giving up the fight. Let us be like the Apostle Paul, who on his deathbed in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 7 and 8 said, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. And he didn't mean any of those words barely. He meant all those words zealously. Let's do that with him by the grace of God. To the praise of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.